a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, I have a I have a confession to make and an apology to offer. I have <clears throat> I have an email account that is directly connected to the show, particularly to my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. And I just realized today as I checked that email that uh, I haven't been checking it for a while. I'm like a couple weeks delinquent, and I have people reaching out to me uh, that uh, I, I feel terrible that I, I haven't... Uh, you know, I haven't responded until today, so thank you, thank you very much, and and I'm I'm so encouraged when I see um, listeners in Australia, when I see listeners around the world and and throughout the U.S. You know, speaking, I'm saying I'm so glad that I found your show and what what a source of encouragement it is to them. Thank you. I I don't think I express this often enough, so um, let me get this off my chest and just tell you, um, it is it is really an honor to be able to to utilize this platform to to speak truth as best i understand it and to hopefully bring some encouragement and some clarity to those who are actually seeking it now i understand the the messages i share the slant that i have and i have my I have my own slant um it's it's not for everybody and it's not that it, you know the people who don't want it well they're just stupid and they're missing out on the best opportunity of their life no, it's, it's, we're all somewhere in that journey of trying to make sense of the world around us and, and hopefully at some point make sense of what we are supposed to do individually. You'll hear me refer to this as a calling, and, and I don't use that term lightly. I think there are people who feel uh, like the, the universe is telling them, I need you to step up and do a job that you alone are fitted for and prepared to do. And it's scary. And of course we have our choice. We have the volition to either say, I'm all about that. I'm going to do it. You know, try to stop me. I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. Or we can, uh, you know, we can decide that it's safer to just kind of hang back in the crowd and, you know, I'm not going to draw any, any attention or try to, to make too many waves. I am so grateful for the people ahead of me in line, the ones who paved the path ahead, who left trail markers to show the way forward or at least a way out of the swamp of misinformation and towards that, uh, that brighter light. And I want you to know I'm doing my level best as an individual to leave those kind of markers for the people who likewise are, are a little bit behind me in their journey. Notice I'm not suggesting I'm, I'm better than them. I'm, I'm so much more advanced. You realize I'm using 15% of my brain. Mm-hmm. Yep. No. We're here to help each other find our way home. You want to ask me what the purpose of life is? That's my simplest explanation. We're, we're helping each other find our way home in the dark. And that's not something that needs to be accomplished with, with anger and browbeating and name-calling and, and uh, othering, you know, those who aren't at the same point in the journey that, that we are. But I just want you to know, I treat this as a, a stewardship. If I can be just bold about this, I'm going to tell you, I believe 
that I will answer to God one day for how I have, have used the opportunities, um, the skills, the talents that I've been able to develop over my life, and, and the passion that I feel for truth and for liberty and, and for, you know, understanding what we can do. Thank you for being a part of that. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your listenership. I hope it never comes off that I take it for granted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody shut up and take a seat. I'm ready to talk now. Um, I look very carefully for the information that I share each day on this program. I'm, I, and I'm not trying to make out that I'm a victim here. Oh, it's so terrible. I have to read and read all the time. And I have people who send me information constantly. I appreciate everybody who can add another piece to the puzzle. Some of the things we're going to be talking about in today's show are a good example of this. Friends who have dropped a line and said, have you seen this article or have you considered this? And it, it comes from some very interesting and sometimes unusual sources. But like a lot of folks, I believe that uh, we have a role to play. I don't care how scary things get, and, and it's, it's tough. We are definitely in a time of crises. In fact, overlapping crises that uh, are making things hard on a lot of levels. Not just the, the big picture, not just geopolitically, not just, you know, American politics. I'm talking right down to the, the personal level. And I include myself in this, too. You know, I, I, I see the, the strain in relationships with, with family members over differences in, well, what about the information that you're reading? Or what about, you know, the take that you have? Why haven't you been vaccinated yet? I'm grateful to be able to have those conversations. I'm sad that it's that we have to have those kind of conversations. And I'm pretty certain, at least to some people, not just family members, but to, to other people, that, uh, you know, I, I seem like I'm some kind of a weirdo who's just way out there. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I might as well just be uh, wearing a tinfoil hat and babbling on about, you know, the, the latest conspiracy. I'm positive that's how it comes off to some. And yet for the people who understand what is at stake, the people who understand that uh, liberty is the greatest gift God gives his children, but it's a gift that comes with, with conditions. It's not for everybody. If you can't handle it, if you take your liberty and you just use it to go, to go run and do whatever you want to, without any thought for consequences or without any thought for what is right and what is wrong, you lose it. It's an elusive thing if you're not prepared for it. It only, it only works for people who live the principles and the practices associated with it. So I try to do my best to teach that as, as we go through the show. I'm not the oracle. I'm still learning myself. There's, there's a chance I could be wrong about whatever it is that, I, that I'm sharing. But I want you to understand I'm doing the very best that I can to give you the best information that I have in hopes that it will help you have clarity about the world around you. And I'm also hoping that, uh, that it will spark in you that desire to stand up and do whatever it is that God set you to do. Your individual mission. Only people who have actually tried to, to tap into that and, and tried to live that can understand and, and, and confirm it just adds depth and it adds meaning to every single aspect of your life. That's the kind of people I like to hang with. 
And I believe that I'm, you know, I'm hanging with him right now. So thank you so much for being a part of the audience. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Also by LifesavingFood.com and MonticelloCollege.org. I shared an article from Alan Stevo yesterday. I've got another great one that I'm going to share with you here in just a few minutes. But I wanted to go back over something that he shared in yesterday's article just because as I was rereading through that yesterday, as I was posting, you know, the 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 podcast and, and getting, you know, the show out there across social media, and I saw this quote, and and it just it seems like it bears repeating. So if if I'm sorry, if this if this is old hat to you, but there's so much wisdom in this. Steve Alan Stevo says, in times like these, how do you serve the cause of freedom in a way that truly matters? And his answer is pray and obey. Now, he's not talking about pray to the government or pray to Dr. Fauci and then obey whatever he's He's talking pray to God and obey what God leads you with and what he shares with you. He says, be, Alan Stevo says, be the free man that you were made to be. Live that free life that you were meant to live. And you will ripple out freedom to all around you. This is the most important part, though, because I know we're all feeling the strain and I know that we're, we're getting weary. But he says, tyrants only matter in your own life as much as you allow them to. They will be dealt with. Politics is downstream of culture. And he says, eventually, the politicians will follow or they'll be removed. Now, if you're called to deal with them, maybe you run for office. Then he says, there's no time like the present. But he says, if you're not called to deal with them, then don't sweat them too much. You have such power to nullify them in your own life. Just keep living that free life and things will work out just fine. Now, this applies to more than just the politicians. You know, if, if I'm if I'm bringing you down, bro, um, turn turn my show off. Go find something else that's more productive to do. I'm doing my best not to bring more fear or more anger into the situation. But there are times where I really get to get wound up on a particular subject and I'm, you know, I'm probably contributing to somebody's fear. My apologies for that. I, I don't I don't intend to. Hopefully, most of the time, you're getting some information that you can actually hang your hat on and that will lead you to a place where, you know, you can you can step up and have that influence that you were born to have. All right. I feel better for getting this off my chest. By the way, you can drop me comments. You can send me email. Just go to the show notes at the brianheidshow.com. A couple of links there that will help you do that. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here for my sponsor, lifesavingfood.com. Now, we're talking about food storage. This is the ReadyWise brand of food storage, 25-year shelf life, very, very simple to, to make. You just add water. Packaged in individual entrees, yeah, this is a great way to go. And, of course, they also have buckets. They have, you know, complete food storage programs. Look, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but there really is peace of mind in knowing that you have a degree of self-sufficiency, that you don't have to run to the store when there's a panic on to try to grab whatever it is you need. 
And there's a there's a great deal of flexibility, a lot of great menu items, and most importantly, the food through lifesavingfood.com, this food storage, is available now. It is plentiful. The prices are reasonable. If you're going to act, this is a great time to do it. And if you're going to act, make sure you save 10% on your purchase by mentioning HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. That's your coupon code, my last name, H-Y-D-E. Well, one of the biggest blessings of our current crises is that they've brought forth individuals who are willing to answer the calling to step up and be sources of light and courage. And I think Alan Stevo is one of the brightest sources out there. Now, his recent column, which was published on LewRockwell.com, is um, how to decouple your life from the people who are trying to assume control of it. And I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe this is for me, but I want you to hear his take on this. He says, it can be wearying to speak to people about the contortions they need to go through within the system to defend their rights. He says, I like it very much, though, because I'm helping lions to wake up and grow skill in their own lives, skill that will help them in all manner of battles ahead. However, he says, while I help people jump through these hoops, there's a reality that everyone who is going to fight a mask hole and a vax hole needs to face. They don't want you. You think too freely for them, and that scares them. Now, you can dominate them, you can obey them, or you can avoid them. So this may ultimately mean separate societies. Perhaps we can alternately return to the American ideal of live and let live. But that approach isn't looking likely, not without some kind of rude awakening. Now, thankfully, those separate societies already exist among those who've put, the, put in the work. They've found the right places. They've surrounded themselves with the right people. No one in their lives will ever ask any of them to show a vaccine card. And Alan Sivo says the rest of us need to play catch up to find that situation in life. He says you cannot expect to overcome 20 years of slacking overnight. Organizations like America's frontline doctors get grief because you might have to wait a few days to see a telemedicine specialist who cares enough about your survival to read the scientific literature on face masks, ivermectin, or hydroxychloroquine. That is called love. It's also at the heart of medical ethics, using all the resources at my disposal. How do I do the best possible work right now for this patient, no matter what anyone else says? And he says, if you support doctors like that now and build relationships with them, they are more likely to be there for you when you need them. And there are plenty of operations out there like that. However, he says, most people don't care about talking to a doctor like that until they get a sore throat. Then they flock to them and give them all manner of grief when they can't be seen immediately. But he says, the real grief, though, belongs in your hands. Why have you been cuddling up for so long to people who you knew secretly wanted you dead? Your doctor was more likely to give you a chemotherapy drug that would kill you than to say to you years before, look up the Weston A. Price Foundation. You might like it. They have lots of healthful and traditional ways of eating that I'm sure you will find way more enjoyable and delicious than any diet from a checkout aisle magazine. But on top of that, the recipes and guidelines they present really seem to work wonders. Alan Stevo says, sure, lots of doctors will mention diet, but few will dig down any further than what some trade organization has to say about diet. They will not do the hard work to find and understand approaches that really work. That doctor is, unsurprisingly, also far more likely to say to you, 
I don't care that this vaccine is an experiment. I want you to take it and risk the chance of maiming and death than to say to you, let's be sure to read all the best literature on non-pharmaceutical options first and to discuss them together before we push for the more invasive pharmaceutical options. Now, the loyalists have their ideas. Alan Stevo says they will report you to the king for hanging as soon as that becomes an option open to them, or whatever the 21st century equivalent of hanging is. You think too differently from them and are a threat to their way of life. The ambivalent sheep have their own way as well. And until you look like the victor in this battle, they will stay as far away from you as possible and keep eating their popcorn as they watch this movie play out. The hyenas will be eagerly at work trying to deceive the sheep. But he says these people mean little to depend on them as folly. They will literally kill you if they have the opportunity. And you cannot depend on people who want to kill you. By the way, I don't think he's being hyperbolic when he says this. The reason I say that is because how many times have you seen someone in an exchange on social media when, when someone says, well, I'm not going to take the vax for this reason or this reason, and people say, I hope you die, or if you don't want to mask up, I hope you get sick, and the last sounds you hear are your own gurgling as you're on a ventilator. I don't think it's an exaggeration in that regard to say, my gosh, they really do want you dead. Some people are actually that small of soul. Back to Alan Stevo's work. He says, I'm not saying that you don't go to their stores. I'm not saying don't talk to them. I'm not saying quit your job either. He just says, stand firm and communicate reasonably so they must fire you if they find you so triggering. Work with them when it makes sense. Just don't depend on them. Now, he says, I don't walk in your shoes. Do the things you think serve you well in your life. But if you have people like that who are integral to your life and you don't have a very solid plan B, plan C, and plan D for when those people follow through with their stated intentions and let you down, well, then he says, you are the fool for putting any faith in them by which they could let you down. He says, these people want to kill you. Those who quite literally think in their heads and sometimes even let those words slip out aloud. I wish that person were dead. And he says, there are a lot more than you realize. They're plotting against you in other ways. And he reminds us the horrors of the concentration camps did not start at the gates of Auschwitz. They started with niggling little impositions on liberty years before, warning signs that people did not take seriously. In the lack of seriousness, people said, I will continue to make government as central to my life as possible and rely on them in these difficult times. Those people didn't survive. Others took a different approach. They made it to British Palestine, or they lived as partisans in the woods. Maybe they became part of the resistance abroad, or they stayed and fought in the cities of their birth. Am I saying to run? No. He says, I'm saying to use the example of the concentration camps and to prepare yourself for not being affected when the people who openly talk about wanting to kill you or who openly talk about being ambivalent about your death start doing things that one could expect from such a sociopath. I love this next bit of advice. Surround yourself with lions. We have the Internet. We have unlimited calling plans. Using those two tools, a search engine and a telephone, if you cannot find a lion out there in the world who can satisfy every single need that you require, Well, you're doing something wrong. 
He says it's long past time to start finding those lions and building those relationships. Now, he says, I'm not just talking about some consumer-producer relationship. That's the stuff of psychopaths. <laughs> I don't disagree. Have you been to the multi-level marketing meeting yet? He goes, that's the kind of behavior that got us into this mess. And unfortunately, I have to pump the brakes here because we are up against our brakes. So we will take a quick time out. We will uh, put some wonderful words in your ears from sponsors who would love to have your business. Please do business with them, or at the very least, let them know that their message is reaching your ears. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Remember, there are show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Every day that I produce the program, we're talking two hours a day. It's a labor of love, but I include notes to every article, every commentator, every guest that I have so that you can check these things out for yourself and continue on your own journey of becoming aware and enlightened about what's going on in the world. I'm sharing an article from Alan Stevo, published on lourockwell.com, about decoupling your life from the people who want to take control of it. And one of the things he talks about is to start surrounding yourself with lions, finding like-minded people that can become part of uh, your I don't want to encourage tribalism, but your tribe, you know, to to be your people. He says, yes, in an economic text, you know, the the consumer-producer relationship makes sense and offers plenty of useful insight. But he says, life is explainable in terms beyond economics. I'm talking about staying on the phone for a half hour the first time you talk and getting a feel for what these people are all about. Not superficial, but really getting to know people. I'm talking about following up with a handwritten thank you note. I'm talking about sending them a photo of your family, that their grass-fed beef and their water filters, their clothing, their medicine, their leather bags are being used by. That's the stuff a robust community is made of. This is the stuff that will last through thick and thin. Now at Trader Joe's, you get what you pay for and nothing more. So don't be let down when your favorite employee has been let go and replaced with a disaffected 23-year-old with a degree in the latest trendy branch of grievance studies. A 23-year-old who's now lording over you, his elder and a customer, and virtue signaling by yelling at you at the top of his lungs at the front door about how evil you are for not wearing a mask to protect the grandma he has, but who, to be fully transparent, which he never would be, he hasn't called in 10 years. And Alan Stevo says these people want to kill you. That is the truth. Don't be shocked when they try to. But also don't be shocked when they do other things that are less extreme than killing you. Things which were once very out of place. The times have changed. He says we'll make it through this time far more free than we ever have been than we ever have before in living memory been. But we're not likely to do that within the existing systems. A decoupling has occurred. More of a decoupling is ahead. And if you wait for that to be abundantly clear to all around you before you act, then you will be left in a difficult situation, waiting in line while entrepreneurs that never had to scale up are forced to do so and experience significant growing pains. 
So if you don't have those relationships built when that occurs, you will be left in a bind for a time. They want to kill you. He says, you're not going to let that happen. They want to deperson you. You will make that irrelevant if they do. They want to fire you. You will have five better opportunities lined up if they do. They want to deny you food. Well, you have a dozen other people you already buy better food from. They want to push you from the system. If you are called to fight for the system that exists, then do that fighting, he says. Your victories may one day benefit us all. But he says their system is nonsense. It's top-heavy. It's full of a managerial class and paper pushers that are a net negative. It is full of people who leech off the public generosity and abrogate freedom to the detriment of all. Has Anthony Fauci and the multiple millions of others like him been anything but a net negative in your life? And these people exist in the public sector and the private sector as well. They're not the cause of our degradation as a people. They are a symptom. But they also individually prosper from the continued degradation. They are incentivized to hasten it. In fact, they are incentivized to do the worst things imaginable for you and your family. Some of them want you dead. You cannot trust them with your life, and you certainly can't trust them to be dependable in any regard. You can subjugate them to your will. You can subordinate yourself to their will. You can avoid them. And Alan Stevo says, look, I don't know what's right for your life. What I do know is that such people must not be depended on. So fight for what's rightfully, lo- rightfully yours. Let that which no longer serves you collapse into the dying heap of ashes it was meant to collapse into. And he says a more beautiful new America will rise from the disaster that has sprung from the Ides of March 2020. In fact, some of us are already building it. I love that perspective. And this goes hand in hand with something that a friend of mine, Simon, told me uh, you know, some years ago. Maybe it's time for us to start focusing on building whatever comes next. I think that's true. I think that's probably more true than, than any of us is really willing to admit at the moment. And the beautiful part is, yes, you actually, you have an essential role to play. I don't know what that role is, but I know it's really important that you do it. All right, moving on. Now, I don't want to sound dramatic, but of all the challenges we're facing at the moment, one of the toughest ones for me personally is knowing who to believe and what numbers can be trusted. I want to thank my friend Eric for sharing an article with me yesterday on on Facebook. Um, The Atlantic, hardly a hard right, you know, kind of media source, is beginning to point out something that I think more people need to be aware of. Namely, it's that our most reliable pandemic number is losing its meaning. This is after a major study showed that asymptomatic and mild cases of COVID are being admitted to hospitals. I mean, right now, there's a fever pitch talking about, oh, the hospitals are so crowded and we've reached capacity and we're going to have to start rationing health care. Now, it's crazy, you know, to, to think that uh, the scare tactics are being used like this. And are they scare tactics? Are they, are they reflecting reality? I don't know. But I know that people that I know and love are, are lapping this up and believing it. And they're fearful and they're scared. They're terrified for me. They're telling me, Brian, you, you need to go and get the vaccine. They're not necessarily worried that I'm, I'm going to get COVID. I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I get to work from home. So my exposure to the public is it's somewhat limited. Or at least it can take place on my own terms. I'm not there every day handed money back and forth with customers, although I've been there and done that. They're concerned that 
well, I don't know, maybe looking at my physique, they look at me and think, man, he's, he's probably a prime candidate for a heart attack. Sure hate to see you having a cardiac episode and end up, you know, having to uh, be shunted from one hospital to another or not even get treatment at all because everybody in there has COVID. Well, listen to this article from The Atlantic. This is written by David Zwieg. The title, Our Most Reliable Pandemic Number is Losing Meaning. And he's talking about a new study that suggests almost half of those hospitalized with COVID-19 have mild or asymptomatic cases. The article says at least 12,000 Americans have already died from COVID-19 this month as the country inches its way through the latest surge in cases. But another worrying statistic is often cited to depict the dangers of this moment. The number of patients hospitalized with COVID-19 in the United States right now is as high as it's been since the beginning of February. It's even worse in certain places. Some states like Arkansas and Oregon recently saw their COVID hospitalizations rise to higher levels than at any prior stage of the pandemic. But then he asks the question, how much do those latter figures really tell us? From the start, COVID hospitalizations have served as a viral metric for tracking the risks posed by the disease. Last winter, the Atlantic described it as the most reliable pandemic number, while Vox quoted the cardiologist Eric Topol as saying, It's the best indicator we have of where we are. So on the one hand, death counts offer finality, but they're a lagging signal. They don't account for people who've suffered significant illness but survived. Case counts, on the other hand, depend on which and how many people happen to get tested. Presumably, hospitalization numbers provide a more stable, reliable gauge of the pandemic's true toll in terms of a severe disease. But a new nationwide study of hospitalization records, released as a preprint, not formally peer-reviewed yet, suggests that the meaning of this gauge can easily be misinterpreted and that it has been shifting over time. So if you want to make sense of the number of COVID hospitalizations at any given time, you actually need to know how sick each patient actually is. And until now, that's been almost impossible to suss out. The federal government requires hospitals to report every patient who tests positive for COVID Yet the overall tallies of COVID hospitalizations made available on various state and federal dashboards and widely reported on by the media do not differentiate based on severity of illness. Some patients need extensive medical intervention, such as getting intubated. Others require supplemental oxygen or administration of the steroid dexamethasone. But there are many COVID patients in the hospital with fairly mild symptoms too who've been admitted for further observation on account of their comorbidities or because they reported feeling short of breath. Another portion of the patients in this tally are in the hospital for something unrelated to COVID and discovered that they were infected only because they were tested upon admission. How many patients fall into each category has been a topic of much speculation. And back in August... Researchers from Harvard Medical School, Tufts Medical Center, and the Veterans Affairs Healthcare System decided that they would find out. We've got to take a very quick break here, but we're going to come back to this article in The Atlantic. It's listed in the show notes as well. There's a link to it if you want to check it out for yourself. What does it tell you when a fairly liberal point of view magazine like The Atlantic is beginning to question the narrative and the way the numbers are being reported? tells me the truth may be finally starting to emerge. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. I hope you appreciate the sponsors who help make this show possible. How do they do that? Well, thank you for asking. They do that by keeping the wolf away from my door, by making it possible for me to support my family and to spend my time finding and then sharing the best information that I can, hopefully in a way that is not scaring people, but is actually in, impressing them to, uh, to take the information, do with it as they will, but to, to not just be passive, but to actively be a part of uh, securing their own liberty. This includes great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. These are the folks I would want you to talk to if you are buying a home in the state of Utah. A lot of people are moving there. A lot of people looking for homes. You need to, you know that the, the pressure on the real estate market is it's real. Inventory disappears as quick as it comes, you know, on, onto the um, listings. It's, it's just crazy. So if you need that loan, whether it's a VA loan, a traditional loan, a reverse mortgage, you need it quickly, talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. 435-703-4522. That's their phone number. They're located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386. So I have this article that's in the show notes at the com from The Atlantic. And it's talking about how COVID hospitalization numbers can be misleading because they don't tell us how sick the people are who are being admitted after testing positive for COVID-19. And we have researchers from Harvard Medical School, Tufts Medical Center, and the Veteran Affairs Healthcare System who dug in to find out what was going on. They looked at 50,000 patients. So this isn't just, well, you know, we talked to Billy Bob down there at County General Hospital, and this is what he told me. I mean, this is some pretty legit research. The article here says researchers have tried to get at similar questions before. For two separate studies published in May, doctors in California read through several hundred charts of pediatric patients one by one to find out why exactly each COVID-positive child had been admitted to the hospital. Did they need treatment for COVID? Was there some other reason for admission like cancer treatment or a psychiatric episode? And the COVID diagnosis was just, you know, incidental to that admittance? According to the researchers, 40 to 45% of the hospitalizations they examined were for patients in the latter group. You understand what that means? They were there for something else, but they just happened to test positive for COVID. Ah, we've got another COVID hospitalization. Run up the red flag. Tell everybody this is, this is what's happening. The hospitals are swamped with COVID patients. It's kind of like the, the cooking of the numbers last year where every person who died with, with a, uh, you know, testing positive for having the COVID virus in their system was counted as a COVID death. Oh, you think I'm joking? A guy dies in a motorcycle wreck. But because he tested positive for COVID, well, it's another COVID death. I mean, why would they report it like that? Why would they do this? I can only imagine it's because there's there's a degree of, if we report it in this way, this will move public opinion or will move the public's awareness in a, in a particular direction, which means it's a deliberate manipulation. Now, the authors of the paper out this week took a different tack to answer a very similar question for adults. Instead of meticulously looking for why a few hundred patients were admitted to a pair of hospitals, 
They analyzed the electronic records for nearly 50,000 COVID hospital admissions at more than 100 VA hospitals across the country. Then they checked to see whether each patient required supplemental oxygen or had a blood oxygen level below 94%. Now, the latter criterion is based on the National Institutes of Health definition of severe COVID. If either of these conditions was met, the authors classified that patient as having moderate to severe disease, otherwise the case was considered mild or asymptomatic. Well, the study found from March 2020 through early January 2021, before vaccination was widespread and before the Delta variant had arrived, the proportion of patients with mild or asymptomatic disease was 36%. From mid-January through the end of June 2021, however, that number rose to 48%. In other words, this study suggests roughly half of all the hospitalized patients showing up on COVID data dashboards in 2021 may have been admitted for another reason entirely or just had a mild presentation of the disease. And this increase was even bigger for vaccinated hospital patients, of whom 57% had mild or asymptomatic disease. But unvaccinated patients have also been showing up with less severe symptoms, on average, than earlier in the pandemic. The study found 45% of their cases were mild or asymptomatic since January 21st. According to Shira Doron, an infectious disease physician and hospital epidemiologist at Tufts Medical Center in Boston, and one of the study's, study's co-authors, that latter finding may be explained by the fact that vaccinated patients in the vaccine era tend to be a younger cohort who are less vulnerable to COVID and may be more likely to have been infected in the past. Now, there's a lot more to this article. David Zwig is, is the author here. But what does that tell you? I mean, this, none of this has made sense. Anybody, should, anybody who's thinking should be questioning the death numbers. I saw some statistics yesterday that had me going, interesting. The COVID infection rate is surging. You know, you look at this time last year, what the infection rate was, how many cases we were seeing on a daily basis when there was no vaccination available. Now, we have at least 177 million Americans that have been vaccinated, but the infection rate is surging. I thought the vaccine was supposed to mean less infection. So I don't understand all the cause and effect. All I'm saying is this does not make sense. And I don't think that I'm being a bad citizen for questioning such things. I've got an article here from Dr. Joseph Mercola that provides, again, more evidence that the, the Centers for Disease Control is cooking the numbers. How? They're listing vaccinated deaths as unvaccinated. Just a couple of quick excerpts. In a July 16, 2021, White House press briefing, briefing rather, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky claimed over 97% of people who are entering the hospital right now are unvaccinated. And a few weeks later, in an August 5, 2021 statement, she inadvertently revealed how that statistic came about. As it turns out, the CDC was looking at hospitalization and mortality data from January 1st, I'm sorry, from January through June of 2021. That's a time frame when the vast majority of the U.S. population was still unvaccinated. But that's not the case at all now. The CDC is also playing with statistics in other ways to create false or inaccurate impressions that unvaccinated people make up the bulk of infections, hospitalizations, and death. 
For example, we now find out the agency is counting anyone who dies within 14 days post-injection. They're counting them as unvaccinated. So not only does this inaccurately reflect or inflate, rather, the unvaccinated death toll, but it also hides the real dangers of those shots, as the vast majority of those shots occur within the first two weeks. Now their deaths are counted as unvaccinated deaths rather than being counted as deaths due to vaccine injury or COVID-19 breakthrough infections. And from here, Dr. McCullough goes into how the CDC counts breakthrough cases, the different testing guidelines for the vaxxed and unvaxxed, how only hospitalization and death count if you're COVID jabbed. In other words, if you get sick, but you don't get hospitalized, you don't die, well, then we're not going to count it. Well, that would include my in-laws. They both are vaxxed. They both came down with COVID. My father-in-law had it very, very seriously, but he wasn't hospitalized. So, you know, it only counts if, if, you're, if you're COVID jabbed and you ended up in the hospital or you died from it. So the vaccinated are actually making up a large bulk of the hospitalization numbers. And you and I are being subjected to some highly misleading statistics. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying is, oh, so therefore Brian's saying you should not get the vaccine under any conditions. No, I'm saying if you think that it is the thing to do, if you feel like if, if the pragmatist in you says this is my best bet to, uh, you know, to mitigate the risk in my situation, by all means, I would say do it. But question the way these numbers are being pushed on us. Question the way that, that we're being uh, manipulated to be fearful and to think that, oh, my gosh, if we don't all get the vaccine right now, why, pretty soon there will be no hospitals left to treat anybody because they'll be so full of COVID patients. There's trickery in the numbers there, too. You know, when they talk about how many beds are available, it's not necessarily because, oh, we've got this many, you know, patients filling up every bed and sitting on gurneys out in the hallway and slouching in chairs. It could just be they don't have enough staff, maybe because they fired a bunch for not getting the jab, you know, to meet the needs of the patients they do have. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. Mark Twain nailed it. Thanks again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hi there and welcome to the show. Hey, I was checking, uh, I was checking my listening statistics, and this is, this is primarily for the podcast, but uh, I, I have the morbid curiosity, okay, who's listening out there? And I'm proud to tell you, 94% of my listening audience is found in the USA. That's pretty cool. But what this means is 6% of my audience isn't. And I'm pretty excited about that in the sense that uh, for, for some weird reason, I, I have no idea why this is, 1% of my listening audience is in Brazil. I don't know where the other 5% is. It's spread out over several dozen different countries, and it, it goes to a lot of faraway places. 
but uh, but I'm very, very grateful for you wherever you are, however you happen to find this, whether you found it uh, on the radio, whether you found it live streaming, whether you found it, you know, uh, podcast-wise. Thank you so much for finding this show. Um, I would ask a small favor of you. If, if, you, uh, if you listen to the podcast, please subscribe. Just, you know, click on the subscribe button and you can get notification every time a new episode drops. If you also find value in this show, I would ask you to consider becoming a member, which means like a monthly supporter of this program. There's a link in the show notes at the com. It'll tell you more about it. There are some nice perks for those who become uh, members and subscribers. And I would greatly appreciate it. Got some great sponsors who make this happen on a daily basis, too, including MonticelloCollege.org. Want to talk about an education for our time? Take a close look at this place. Also, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, and LifesavingFood.com. You've heard me say, politics is poison. And there's there's a reason why I consciously limit the amount of, of political... Uh, engagement that I have in my life. Oh, it's probably because you're just a big chicken and you know you're wrong. Yep, that's it. That's exactly it. No, it's because it brings so much negativity. It turns everything into a power struggle. And if you don't believe me, just look at anything that has become politicized. What happens? It becomes this this immense struggle for control and, and coercion, which is really what's at the base of politics. Because it's all about control of the government apparatus. Well, for what purpose? You know, why does government exist? That's a question we're going to tackle here in a, in a few minutes as well. Government exists to, to protect our natural rights, to keep us free. But unfortunately, in a lot of people's minds, it's morphed into, no, 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 government exists to accomplish what I can't accomplish on my own. Especially if that means forcing you to do what I know is right. It's quite an attitude, but it's something that a lot of people are carrying. And and we have seen, especially in the last 19 months, politics are killing medicine. Got a great article here from Jeff Minnick from intellectualtakeout.org. He says, recently I needed to visit the urgent care center here in Front Royal, Virginia. Now he says, I've gone there two or three times over the past four years, usually walking around 15 minutes or waiting, rather, around 15 minutes, wait to uh, see a doctor or a nurse. This time, he says, the woman at the front desk told me my wait would be between three and four hours. I mean, you'd, you'd expect that at the DMV. But the doctor's office? So Jeff Minnick says, I left. But when I returned the next day, their system was down and I couldn't make an appointment, so I was again given the same long wait. Since then, he says, I've looked at their job site and discovered they have dozens of positions open, ranging from cooks to nurses. Now, he asked, was that shortage caused in part by the corporation's demand that all of their employees receive the vaccine? Politicians and policymakers have long demanded that we trust their guidance in matters of public health. But now it looks like those same demands may be hurtling us toward other public health-related problems. I mean, the president has issued sweeping new orders for vaccine mandates, demanding, for example, that companies employing more than 100 employees force their workers to receive the vaccine. If this mandate is carried out, it will affect hospitals around the country. For a year, those healthcare workers stayed at their posts without the possibility of a vaccine. 
Do you remember that? We hailed them as heroes. But now we're going to fire them when they exercise their right to say no to vaccination. And what's crazy to me is it's not just hardcore lefties that are celebrating this. I see people even on the libertarian right who are like, well, you know, uh, actions have consequences. You decide not to get the vaccine. You know, it's you have to own that. I mean, it just it makes me wonder. I've seen I've seen the meme and I. I, I don't mean to offend anybody by pointing this out, but. Um, you know, the one that says, if you wondered how you would have, whether or not you would have resisted in 1930s Germany, now you have your answer. If nothing else, we, we know who would have gone along, who would have turned in Anne Frank and her family and probably felt good about doing it. Well, of course, I'm a good citizen. I'm doing my duty. Jeff Minnick says these mandates for the good of public health now seem to be negatively affecting others, including some expectant mothers. On September 10th, a local news outlet reported the Lewis County General Hospital in Lowville, New York, will no longer deliver babies. This measure will take place starting September 24th because too many maternity unit workers have resigned over COVID vaccination mandates. The chief executive officer of the country's health care system, Gerald Kyer, announced six members in the unit had resigned rather than take the jab and that another seven were undecided. Of the hospital staff at large, 27 have still refused the vaccine. And this issue is addressed on a broader front by Lauren Weber in a recent Epic Times article titled Vaccine Mandates Affect Hospital Staffing Wars. She reports on the shrinking pool of qualified health professionals available for work, especially in rural communities. Staff who are already overworked and worn out by the many months of battling the virus now must decide whether to take a vaccine they mistrust in order to keep working. Some traveling nurses have refused to work in states with mandates. Add to that the hospitals overwhelmed by Delta variant cases and staff needing sick days, and the crisis deepens. Meanwhile, information about the useful therapeutic treatments of the Wuhan virus is either ignored or, in some cases, actively suppressed. Instead of letting letting doctors and other medical personnel hash out the efficacy of the vaccine or treatments like ivermectin, politicians and bureaucrats are issuing orders on how to combat the virus. Physician Justice Hope is one who would likely desire to be a part of that debate. He analyzes the enormous decrease in COVID deaths in India that occurred when that country authorized widespread use of ivermectin to combat the virus. He compares the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh with the United States as the two have similar population sizes. Let us look at the August 5 numbers from Uttar Pradesh with two-thirds of our population, Hope said. Uttar Pradesh, using ivermectin, had a total of 26 new cases and exactly three deaths. The U.S., without ivermectin, has had precisely 4,889 times as many daily cases and 199 times 191 times as many deaths as the Uttar Pradesh with ivermectin. So Jeff Minnick asked, okay, does ivermectin work? Can it prevent deaths and sickness from COVID? He says, I'm no scientist, but data certainly seems to show that it does. At the very least, we should leave that analysis to our healthcare professionals with all of them being given a voice instead of politicians and their allies in the media hammering on about the drug being used for horses and censoring those who speak in favor of such therapeutics. 
He says Americans have spent months listening to politicians and policymakers demand we follow the science. Well, good idea. Let's return that science to our healthcare professionals and specialists. Let them debate and determine the best way to fight this virus and get government out of the way. I mean, I heard the, ter- I heard the definition for agorism some years ago. An agorism is simply, you know, you are, you are living a permissionless existence. You don't turn to government for everything. Mother, may I? May I work for a living? May I uh, have some of my money back? May I have the part that you don't need for taxes? I think the best explanation is you reduce your governmental footprint. And I think if there's ever been a time to get serious about doing something like this, it's today. But to do that, you're going to have to have some capability of, of self-reliance. You're probably going to have to build a network with like-minded people. Just in the last couple of days, I've had a number of people reach out to me and say, how can we build a website? How can we build some kind of a, a digital platform or some kind of, of gathering place for like-minded people? And they're talking about people who, for whatever reason, have chosen not to get the vaccination I mean, we're, we're being actively excluded from most all other aspects of society. Frankly, as I look at where society's going, you know, I'm not that offended. Oh, you wanted to sift me out of your rotten soup? Yes, please. Please do. But they're not content to let me go live life on my own terms. No, I still have to do it according to them. Where are the like-minded people with whom we can create our own community? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you daily, well, Monday through Friday. Sorry, weekends are off limits. But it's brought to you by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. This is the team with the stability and the clout and the decades of experience to help you get the home loan you need without delay. Why would it matter that you get it in a timely fashion? Well, this is, per, this is primarily for my listeners in the state of Utah, but if you're one of the thousands of people relocating to the Intermountain West and you're looking to buy a home, I don't have to tell you. It's the hottest real estate market that most of us can remember. And when you find the home of your dreams, your financing has to be squared away right now. This is why I want you to count on the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Their offices are in St. George at 619 South Bluff Street. You can call 435-703-4522. Listen, there's an email link in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. If you would drop an email to Heather and just let her know, your message is reaching my ears. I would greatly appreciate it. I think she would too. All right, back to the show. Actions really do speak louder than words, especially when the elite keep insisting that we do what they tell us or else. And I, I try not to get too caught up in, you know, the social gatherings and, you know, the, uh, the daily tattler, <laughs> you know, telling us what, what's going on. So often it's focused on personalities. And, and maybe this will surprise you, maybe it won't. Societies that are in decline tend to focus on issues and personalities rather than on principles. It's societies that are in their ascendancy, that are healthy, that are free, They are focused on forms, 
principles, the things that keep them free. Societies that are devolving, that are in decline, they tend to focus on people. And unfortunately, that means people like, uh, you know, uh, AOC. Uh, well, I, sorry, her first name, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez. I was going to call her something else. But um, she went to the Met Gala earlier this week and, you know, in this stunning dress with a Chick-fil-A looking uh, logo. Oh, no, that says tax the rich. Okay, cute. And there was a lot of talk about this. How daring she is. How iconic. Oh, look at this. You know, look at her. Right there to the elite's faces, telling them that they need to be taxed. But that's not what really caught most people's attention, at least the people who are aware of what's going on. What really got a lot of people's attention was the photographs that came out of that uh, Met Gala showed a very clear division. And it was the masking of the servant class. And this is something we're starting to see more and more, where there are gatherings of politicians, where there are places where the oh-so-important are together, you know, to discuss whatever it is they're going to discuss. I presume it's something like what a James Bond villain would be discussing. How can we better take over the world? I, I don't know. I'm not invited for some reason. Actually, I'm kind of glad for that. But Glenn Greenwald, one of the few remaining journalists in the world, has written an excellent piece about how, while AOC's revolutionary and subversive socialist gown generated buzz, the normalization of maskless elites attended to by faceless servants is absolutely grotesque. Let me just share a couple of excerpts from his article. He says, from the start of the pandemic, political elites have repeatedly been caught exempting themselves from the restrictive rules they impose on the lives of those over whom they rule. Governors, mayors, ministers, speakers of the House have been filmed violating their own COVID protocols. By the way, he has links to each of these examples here. In order to dine with their closest lobbyist friends, enjoy a coddled hairstyling at chic salons, or unwind after signing or unwind after signing new lockdown and quarantine orders by sneaking away for a weekend getaway with the family. In fact, the trend became so widespread that ABC News gathered all the examples. Under the headline, elected officials slammed for hypocrisy for not following their own COVID-19 advice. While Business Insider in May updated the reporting with this, 14 prominent Democrats stand accused of hypocrisy for ignoring COVID-19 restrictions they're urging their constituents to obey. Now, most of those transgressions were too flagrant to ignore and thus produce some degree of scandal and resentment for the political officials granting themselves such license. Glenn says dominant liberal culture is, if nothing else, fiercely rule-abiding, and they get very upset when they see someone defying decrees from authorities, even if the rule-breaker is the official who promulgated the directives for everyone else. Photos released last November of California Governor, California Governor Gavin Newsom giggling maskless as he sat with other maskless state health officials celebrating the birthday of a powerful lobbyist just one month after he told the public to keep your mask on between bites. And while severe state-imposed restrictions were in place regarding leaving one's home, caused a drop in popularity and actually helped fuel the recall initiative against him. Newsom and these other officials broke their own rules, and even among liberals who venerate their leaders as celebrities, rule-breaking is frowned upon. But Glenn says, as is so often is the case, the most disturbing aspects of elite behavior are found not in what they've prohibited, but rather in what they've decided is permissible. And when it comes to mask mandates, 
It's now common to see two distinct classes of people, those who remain maskless while they are served and those they employ as their servants who must have their faces covered at all times. Prior to the COVID pandemic, it was difficult to imagine how the enormous chasm between the lives of cultural and political elites and everyone else could be made any larger. Yet the pandemic generated a new form of crude cultural segregation, a series of protocols which ensured that the maskless elites maskless elites never cast eyes upon the faces of their servant class. Wow. Just last month, a delightful attempt, or event rather, was hosted by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi for wealthy Democratic donors in Napa, the same wine region of choice for Governor Newsom's notorious dinner party, at which the cheapest tickets were $100 each and a chair designation was available for $29,000. Video of the outdoor festivity showed an overwhelmingly white crowd of rich Democratic donors sitting maskless virtually on top of one another, not an iota of social distancing to be found as Pelosi imparted her deep wisdom about public policy. In fact, her donor gala took place as millions faced eviction, ongoing joblessness, and ever-emerging mandates of various types, and it was also held just five days after the liberal county government of Los Angeles, in the name of Delta, imposed a countywide mask requirement for major outdoor events. In nearby San Francisco, where Pelosi's mansion is found, the liberal city-run government has maintained a more restrictive outdoor mask policy than the CDC. Though masks were not required for outdoor exercising like jogging or while consuming food, the city's rules for outdoor events required that any gathering where there are more than 300 people, masks are still required for both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. Now, though Pelosi's fundraising lunch fell below the 10,000-person threshold for L.A. County's outdoor mask mandate, it may have fallen within San Francisco's mask mandate. Either way, it appears arbitrary at best. How would the science of COVID risk have drastically changed for those sitting with no distancing at densely packed tables if there had been a few more tables of Pelosi donors? The CDC's latest guidelines for outdoor events urge people to consider wearing a mask for activities with close contact with others who are not fully vaccinated. Now, Glenn Greenwald goes on here. I'm going to let you pick up the rest of the article for yourself. But this is really powerful. This, is, this stopped being about the science a long time ago. And that's the key here. Even with all this deceit and manipulation, there's something uniquely disturbing and even creepy, Glenn says, about becoming accustomed to seeing political and cultural elites wallowing in luxury without masks, while those who are paid small wages to serve them in various ways are forced to keep the cloth over their faces. By the way, you see this in press conferences as well. When the cameras are not on or when they think the camera isn't on, Oh, yeah, everybody's standing around glad-handing and chatting, ha-ha-ha, mask-free. Then the word goes out, guys, guys, we're on the air. What? And there's panic. Everybody dons a mask. Why? they got to keep up the illusion. Well, that illusion is being shattered, my friend, and I'm happy that it is. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. 
I would encourage you, if you have the time and the interest, please visit my sponsors, including lifesavingfood.com. This is a company that uh, markets the ReadyWise food storage products, both dehydrated as well as freeze-dried offerings. They have a cr- tremendous selection to, to choose from. And look, if, if you're a little bit daunted by the idea of, oh, man, I don't know if I can afford a whole year's supply at once, here's the good news. You don't have to buy a whole year's supply at once. You can start and incrementally and consistently build up your food stores, and it's really quite affordable. The The stock is, is very good right now. The prices are good. Demand is modest. That's not always going to be the case. So if you want to get on it, this is a good time to do it. Go to the link I provide at thebrianhydeshow.com. That's lifesavingfood.com. When you make a purchase, we'll save you 10% on your purchase if you use my last name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, as your coupon code. Thanks in advance for, for checking them out. So what is the real purpose of government? If I ask somebody this, and I'm not, it's not a trick question. It's not like, uh, this is a gotcha. But if I ask someone, so what do you understand the real purpose of government to be? The way a person answers this question will offer real insight into their understanding of the principles and practices of liberty, as well as, you know, the way our government system here in America was set up. And sadly, for most people, um, that's, that's not something you're going to find a lot of depth. Their understanding is very superficial. More often than not, if you were to ask someone, so why do we have government in the first place? What is the purpose? They're going to say something along the lines of, well, it's to do what we can't do for ourselves. And by the way, those are the exact words I got from a state legislator when I asked him that question one time in a candidate's debate. To do what we can't do for ourselves. Well, does that mean there's some things government should never do? See, people get a little bit, uh, well, I don't know. I guess, you know, I suppose you could make that case. Well, there's an excellent article here from J.D. Tusil on Reason.com where J.D. observes that whatever government is good at doing, most Americans agree that it's lousy at protecting civil liberties. In fact, people are doubting the government's role as a protector, but uh, they get mixed messages about the value of freedom. J.D. Tusil says, Disappointment in government brings an otherwise divided country together once again as Americans lose faith in the state's ability to protect civil liberties. Now, granted, people are often their own worst enemies, threatening the freedom of those they don't like. But there's a realistic and growing recognition of the danger posed by the powers that be and loss of confidence in their supposed roles as protectors. A recent Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research poll recently said in 2011, 10 years after the terrorist attack, nearly two-thirds were willing to sacrifice rights and freedoms to protect the country from terrorism. That's pretty impressive, but just over half, more recently, said that they were willing to surrender their civil rights and freedoms to combat terrorism. Now, more remarkably, he says, when asked about specific rights, the percentage of the public saying the government does a good job in protecting them has declined sharply during the past decade. In, 2020, in 2011, 84% of respondents said the U.S. government did a good job protecting the right to vote. That dropped to 43% in 2021. For peaceful assembly, the number dropped from 75 to 
for freedom of speech. Again, this is government protecting freedom of speech. It dropped from 71 to 45 percent. From f- for uh, protecting freedom of religion, it dropped from 75 percent to 51 percent. For the right to trial by an impartial jury, 67 percent to 44 percent. For the right to keep and bear arms, from 57 percent to 35 percent, and so on. He says, in fact, for none of the rights about which people were polled have the numbers done anything but drop in terms of confidence about government protections, people's confidence. Now, of course, given that everything is subject to partisan considerations, members of political tribes don't necessarily see eye to eye on how well officials respect our rights. This uh, AP NORC poll says Democrats tend to see the government as doing a good job at protecting various rights and freedoms while Republicans are more inclined to say that the government is doing a poor job. However, there are no significant partisan differences regarding the right to vote, freedom from cruel and unusual punishment, freedom from punishment without trial, equal protection under the law, or freedom from unreasonable search and seizure. Independents, for their party, either split the difference between Republicans and Democrats, such as on freedom of speech and of the press, or are especially dubious about government protections such as for freedom from punishment without trial and the right to vote. Of particular interest, after the 9-11 attacks and the 2013 revelations by Edward Snowden about pervasive surveillance that followed, is the AP NORC separate report about plummeting support for such snooping. It seems that government eavesdropping has very little in way of a fan base. The poll finds 20 years after 9-11, less than 3 in 10 adults consider warrantless government analysis of Internet activities and communications an acceptable means for monitoring threats against the U.S. Support for government monitoring of domestic phone calls was never high, but it's fallen from 23% in 2011 to 14% in 2021. Support for monitoring calls outside the U.S. fell from 49% to 28%. Support for monitoring Internet searches fell from 48% to 27%. For reading private emails, the numbers fell from 30% to 17% over those years. Some 60% of Americans do, however, continue to favor surveillance cameras in public places, though even that's down by more than 10%. It's as if years of intrusiveness, abusive politicians, and weaponization of the power of the state by officials against their political opponents have eroded the credibility of the U.S. government. Amen. Unfortunately, officialdom's unreliability as a guardian of personal freedom doesn't come out of the blue. There's a constituency for that shakiness. For example, multiple polls in recent years have found that while people voice support for free speech in the abstract, they're not so happy about protecting speech that upsets them. The government should be able to take action against newspapers and TV stations that publish content that is biased, inflammatory, or false agreed 57% of respondents to a 2019 campaign for free speech poll. Now, never mind that biased and inflammatory are often in the eye of the beholder and core elements of expression, and false is a charge subject to new information and continued debate. College students broadly support free speech, yet increasingly favor restrictions on speech, particularly speech that targets minority groups. That's according to a 2020 Knight Foundation poll. Forget that minorities are among those to be most likely on the receiving end of free of speech curbs allegedly crafted for their safety. 
and notably the American Civil Liberties Union has grown extremely ambivalent about defending liberties at odds with its staff's preferred outcomes on issues ranging from speech to medical coercion. The Atlantic's Russell Berman commented last week to the ACLU's critics, its support of vaccine mandates is another sign that the organization that was often willing to take unpopular stances in the name of liberty has abandoned its roots to fall in line with progressivism. But J.D. Tussil says much of the public has simply lost patience with the checks and balances that, by design, shield liberties by placing limits on the power of their preferred officials. The Democracy Voter Fund, or Fund Voter Study group observed last year, while fewer than one in ten Americans consistently supports an authoritarian option, a third of Americans, quote, dabble in authoritarianism. They look for a strong leader who doesn't have to bother with Congress or elections. Yikes. J.D. Tussil says many people rightly doubt the credibility of government as a protector of civil liberties. But the public is sending very mixed messages about the value it places on freedom and on restrained power. To defend civil liberties only when you approve of their use, and if they don't get in the way of your favorite political leaders, is to not defend civil liberties at all. But whether or not they understand the implications, he says, growing numbers of Americans are unimpressed by the protections the U.S. government offers for civil liberties across the board. They want government officials to back off their surveillance efforts at home and abroad, and they're, willing, they're less willing than in the past to trade their freedom for empty promises. Oh, I want that to be true. I really want to believe that's true. I see it in some people. And, and I don't know if I'm just looking for safety in the numbers and not seeing enough numbers to feel encouraged, but it sure feels like we're hopelessly outnumbered. If you are a person who not only understands freedom, but you're willing to assert yourself and stand up and protect your freedom when others start encroaching on it, you are looked at as a weirdo. You are out of step with the mainstream of society. So does that make you wrong? Absolutely not. But then again, if you look at history, there are a lot of times where the people who were standing on correct principle found themselves in a very lonely place, sometimes a very dangerous place. Yet their examples kept enough people rooted to reality that eventually sanity would return. I hope that's the role we're playing today, and I hope it's really having the effect that we hope it's having. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. If you are interested in checking out the resources for wrong thinkers, you will find there's a page on my website devoted to some of the different news sources and news aggregators that I like to access on a daily basis. And, and look, here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to make you dependent on me, so you have to, you know, gather around the radio. Everybody gather around. Uncle Brian's on. Let's, you know, it's time for the Uncle Brian show. No, it's, it's more a matter of I want to point you in the right direction where you can find these information sources and then do with it as you will. The beautiful thing about my resources for wrong thinkers is there are many of these that are subscriptions where you can, you can just simply say, look, I'd like to get, subscribe to your daily or weekly email, and they'll send right to your inbox. You know, a half dozen stories or so on various issues. 
Some of them, you know, you may not be interested in. You may not really be interested in what tariffs are doing today and how this compares to the GDP of blah, blah, blah. You know, No, it's there if you want to find it, but more than anything, I'm just trying to show you that there are some information sources out there that are less politically driven, less partisan in their approach, that don't have that red state, blue state mentality. And that, these are the voices that I tend to look to when I want to get an informed take on what's going on around us. So go to my website, thebrianhideshow.com, look under resources for wrong thinkers, and, and I think you'll be very happy to find there's a lot of this stuff that could be landing in your email inbox. So two things I want to share with you in the time that I have left uh, with the unprecedented power grab taking place virtually everywhere right now. It's really essential that we keep an eye out for any attempts to either further limit or outlaw the exercise of our right to keep and bear arms. In fact, I came across something today that just, I was like, oh, really? Here's another angle. Gabriel Hoffman has pointed out a growing threat to undermine the Second Amendment's restrictions on government power by going after firearms-related websites. And this has to do with Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. You probably heard some things about it, you know, in terms of, well, you know, we should repeal Section 230 so that we can hold these uh, these uh, big tech uh these platforms like Facebook and Twitter and so forth, we can hold them accountable. Now, I happen to fall in the camp that Section 230 is actually okay. It keeps government's hands tied in the right ways. But now they're looking at repealing a portion of Section 230 regarding gun sales. Senate Democrats, if they get their way, said they will weaponize Section 230 reform to target online gun marketplaces. And in fact, uh, conservatives who are urging repeal of Section 230 are playing right into their hands. So just as a bit of background here, Section 230 enumerates in its civil liability clause that providers or users of an interactive computer service aren't liable for third-party content posted there just as Facebook and Twitter aren't liable for their users' slander or misinformation, sites like armslist.com aren't liable for illegal gun sales. Now, as you might guess, this does not sit well with Senator Dianne Feinstein. She recently introduced her Accountability for Online Firearms Marketplace Act. If passed, her bill would, quote, clarify Section 230 to strip online firearms marketplaces, specifically armslist.com, of immunity protections. Feinstein said it's time to start holding accountable those who would turn a blind eye to illegal gun sales on their platforms. Now, if sites like Arms List were actually helping criminals to get guns, maybe Feinstein would have a point, but that argument is weak. Removing protections from online firearms marketplaces would have no measurable effect on curbing crime perpetrated by prohibited possessors. That's because criminals typically don't buy their guns online. A 2019 Bureau of Justice Statistics report examined the source of criminal activities involving firearms. After interviewing more than 200,000 prisoners, it found only 1.3% of respondents obtained their firearms through a retailer. The majority of firearms used in crimes were primarily stolen or illegally obtained through the black market. In other words, arms list is hardly the criminal enterprise Feinstein is trying to make them out to be. Even in its terms of use, ArmsList specifies for its users that any unlawful use of their website constitutes an illegal purpose and therefore is unauthorized. 
And the terms also state users have to acknowledge the website isn't involved in transactions. Users are in accordance with applicable laws. They should field questions about firearm sales or transfers to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives if they arise. So Gabriella Hoffman is saying, instead of targeting lawful businesses, Democrats should start tackling actual crime. And she says to my fellow conservatives eager to repeal Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, please reconsider. If you care about the Second Amendment and oppose frivolous lawsuits against the firearms industry, it's imperative to combat efforts like this one. And yes, I do have a link in the show notes. Okay, this is Like Dessert. I'm saving the best for last. want to talk about uh, keeping your head in the midst of widespread panic. I know it's not easy. In fact, I know politicians understand this. And they understand that every crisis spells opportunity to consolidate more power over the populace. So I wanted to share with you this article from Kent McManigal from everything-voluntary.com. The U.S. may be one panic away from disaster. He says, a couple of centuries ago, a smart fellow known as Voltaire pointed out, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Now, this is a timeless truth. And he says it explains why a disturbing number of people in the year 2021 are calling for segregation, imposed poverty, or even concentration camps. Now, they prefer to use euphemisms for their neighbors who are, for whatever reason, unvaccinated against COVID-19. Now, if that's not willingness to commit an atrocity, what is? He says we've been fooled or they've been fooled into believing absurdities concerning the virus. Now they are publicly calling for atrocities. Society is ripe for some political functionary to start committing atrocities using the excuse of public safety. And these people would cheer and start lighting up the tip lines or dragging their neighbors to the authorities themselves. Now, there's a big overlap between those who want officials to punish their their unvaccinated neighbors and those who want the government to ban gun ownership. Maybe this doesn't mean anything, but he says it is worth noticing. Also, many of these same people want to convince you that ivermectin is only a horse dewormer. Would they also characterize penicillin as only a horse antibiotic? Antibiotic, rather, both are partially true, but incomplete. Any medicine can be dangerous if used incorrectly. Trying to shut down discussion concerning a medicine, whether it's ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or cannabis, is neither rational nor ethical. It's not science, but superstition. If you feel the need to shut down debate, you have admitted your position is weak. Now, that doesn't mean that I believe you should use any particular medication, Kent says. Your medical decisions are between you and your doctor and your informed consent being the deciding factor in every case. Government, social media corporations, and I shouldn't have any say in the matter. You may as well listen to your dog's medical advice. The credibility is about the same. He says, I have no idea whether ivermectin or anything else is effective against any specific virus. But I know when people are lying, and you are being lied to. Now, he says, it's not completely their fault. They've been lied to by politicized experts, and they bought it hook, line, and sinker. Now, based on the absurd lies they believed, they have come up with what must seem to them to be a reasonable reaction. I think the hardest part of this is, you know, it's easy to take offense when somebody starts standing up in a way that is threatening your liberty. At least that's what I feel. I don't, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel like, oh, you're making a mistake. I, I, I feel real anger when someone is, 
is insisting, you know what, Brian, we need to separate you from society and punish you economically in every way possible because you're not going along with the program. Or as Biden would say, our patience is wearing thin. Anger is the first thing that that I feel when I encounter something like this. And maybe this is more for me than anybody else, but I, I have to remind myself, I'm dealing with imperfect human beings who are children of God, who are loved by their creator, and who, in spite of the fact that I think they are making a terrible mistake, are my brothers and sisters in a very real sense. Now, that's a tough perspective to maintain. And the person with their hand on your throat, it's, it's hard to say, I love you, as you're choking, you know, trying to breathe. But I urge you to keep some things in perspective. A lot of the stuff that we get most upset about is stuff that we choose to get upset about. I, this is one of the reasons why I'm a big advocate of unplugging from the matrix often and making sure that your moral compass is calibrated. Because then it's easier to keep track of, of the things that really matter, the things that will, will actually have value not just here and now, but uh, you know, far into the future, possibly into eternity. I know it's lofty, and I know it's hard because we're all fallible. It's almost like that's the purpose of life, right? Here we are in this fallen sphere doing our best to help each other find our way home in the dark. But I think we have to maintain that larger, more uh, eternal or lasting perspective if we're going to get this thing right. This is The Brian Hyde Show.